0: Season four. Trashy divorces. Welcome back, everybody. Welcome back. We know you missed us after we weren't away at all last week with our listener divorces, which Not were awesome. a little bit. But we're back with your regular programming lineup to launch season four this week. We're going to take the money and run. Originally recorded by Eagles, this song, Take the Money and Run, featured on the Fly Like an Eagle album, which incidentally is my least favorite song pretty much ever. You've mentioned that. I have no idea why. Huh. Can't stand it. Yeah. This week, oh, Stacey, we, our stories had more similarities. Like, we went in with the money angle. Sure. Lots and lots of money in both of these people.
1: Yeah, no, but there's also, there are mistresses, there's, there's extortion plots, there's like innovation innovation and inventors yeah and all I'll, kinds of weird bad behavior there's a lot of through lines is all i'm saying
0: take out your trashy divorces yeah, bingo cards.
1: yeah so stacy this week you covered this week i covered the bezos divorce that played out this year jeff bezos founder of amazon owner of washington post it's amazing
0: it just started the beginning of this year
1: yeah his wife mckenzie they were together for 25 years and uh they are no more he went from richest person in the world to, I think, second or third richest person. She's the third richest woman alive. Did, didn't hurt him a lot. No, no, no. $137 billion takes a lot of the sting out of everything. And Alicia, who do you have for us this week? Uh, I covered the trashy two and a half-ish
0: <laughs> divorces of everybody's favorite
1: weirdo inventor. Mid-century modern. <laughs>
0: Everybody's favorite MCM billionaire, Howard Hughes. Good Lord, what a story. It,
1: yeah. There,
0: okay. There before we lot. get to our right. take the money and run stories this week, let's go ahead and mention super fast. We were super excited to be invited at, as a guest starring appearance
1: with our friends Margie and Rachel on their pod, Textual Tension. Yeah. It was super fun. The episode dropped last week and um, it is. It's really fun to listen to and it's, I don't know, we both by the end of it were exhausted from laughing so hard. It really was, it was great to be on Textual Tension. So Textual
0: Tension, one host will kind of read the summary and plot line of a quote unquote romance novel to each other and we got to be involved in the, uh, y'all it was bad. As bad as romance, my ass. It is was what that was.
1: The by far the loopiest romance anyway. novel ever written. It was super fun.
0: It was super fun. So. Check us out there. That released last week if you want to hear your favorite trashy divorces hosts talk about some bad, some bad romance.
1: <laughs> okay. And then we have a few new patrons to welcome this week. We do in our magic mirror. Mm-hmm. Thank you, y'all, for joining us over on the Patreon
0: side. You are the very best. Thousands of thank yous. Our new patrons this week include HJ, Shelly A, Grace T, Julie B, Marcia B, Nani P, Sandra M,
1: Diane D, Brooke H, Kendall S, Rachel A, Kristen M, Delaney T, Rachel R, Georgia C. Terry
0: F., Meg B., Kim W., Suzanne R., and Laura M. S. Thank you. Thank y'all so much for joining us over there. What did you hear this week on Patreon? We had a huge week over on Patreon. Monday, we dropped Astrology with Libra. So a happy birthday to all of our Libra friends, including Karen Valadol, whose daughter Emily wrote in and wants her Libra mama to have the happiest year ever. Happy birthday, you rock, Karen. Happy birthday, Karen. Tuesday, I dropped my bonus divorce which was so was very true crimey. Very true crime adjacent. The trashy divorce of Claudine Lange and Andy Williams as well as Claudine's
1: <laughs> subsequent murder <laughs>
0: of Cyber uh, Spider Savage, that is entirely true. Mm-hmm. Wednesday, we wrapped up Trashy Tutors for now talking about Elizabeth Woodville. But don't worry, Trashy Tutors is evolving into Trashier Tutors. Coming to you next Tuesday with the mistresses of Henry VIII.
1: Oh yeah, Thursday kitchen sinks. Yep. Stacey, what did we do? Oh, there was there was handwriting analysis. There was an allegation of Melania Trump having a side piece. Elizabeth Warren's tax plans and for how, your trashy
0: divorce. How
1: it will uh, how it will force multimillionaires apart just to lower their tax bill maybe. And oh, Elizabeth the 1st right? dress is
0: the Bacton altar cloth, but it really is Elizabeth the 1st dress. It is coming to y'all at Hampton Court Palace. So for our friends in England, October, crap,
1: 23rd of February, go see it and take pictures and I need to know about this. And then on Friday, oh, we, we did a uh, totally new thing. Rolled out a brand new thing just because people asked. Because I think people have figured out that we don't have lives and we are media obsessives. <laughs> so it's people true. who like go to work and play with their kids and aren't obsessively following what's happening in the American political scene, we rolled out Trashy Impeachment, which we were hoping to make kind of a bite sized summary of what's been happening. And, oh, you know, I think we're going to keep at it because it looks like this is going to keep going. And,.
0: Yeah, Trashy Impeachment was a lot of fun because we are pretty up to the current. Unless we're recording, we can tell you what's going on at any given second. Yeah. So that was pretty fun. It is open access on Patreon. So if you yourself would like a political catch up, super rambly
1: political catch up.
0: We got you, boo. Mm -hmm. Trashy divorces style. You can head over to patreon.com slash trashy divorces. And even without subscribing, you can go see what we have up in open. Trashy impeachment just may be a thing. Yep. Also, so you know about mistresses of Henry the Eighth? That's coming this week. Also, Wednesday, Wednesday. I'm so excited. Our new Wednesday limited series is coming with Side Piece. Yep. And yep. we have changed the name several
1: times. It's mistresses of all genders. Side mistresses piece. of
0: all genders. So Side Piece. And Stacy, you're starting this week with. That's a great question. Are you going to keep it a mystery for all of
1: us? Let's keep it a mystery. Okay. Keeping it a mystery. Okay, I love it. Not going to tell
0: you. Coming for you on Wednesday. Don't you go looking at Airtable.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Spreadsheet magic.
0: All right, I think that wraps the intro. Are you ready to get to our two Let's to- yeah.
1: Inventor I'm billionaires. Excited to be back. So yeah, let's do this. Go go go. So, Alicia. Yeah. uh, I got a real
0: dick bag this week. Oh, good. (laughs) I got a real dick bag. That's what we like. This week, I'm covering the trashy divorces of Howard Hughes.
1: Mm.
0: I mean, this guy. Like, it's triumph and tragedy all wrapped into one, but let's add in some severe childhood shit and some mental illness, too, with uh, a significant amount of head trauma and all the money in the world.
1: And just to catch up, this is the, like genius dude who like by the end of his life had locked himself in his house and yep. his fingernails were eight feet long same and... guy yeah. yeah yeah good times quite the fall there quite so the fall. howard hughes
0: is uh okay yikes his dad is a missouri boy uh born in 1869 i think you mean misery 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 boy his dad has a sister who becomes an opera and stage singer. Dad also has a brother that's a novelist and a screenwriter. So there's some sibling rivalry that happens, and dad has some Hollywood ties, and dad's a hustler. He moves around a bunch to find his fortune and ends up settling in Houston and marries a gal named Aline Stone Gano, who was born in 1883. So 20 like, years. Yeah, like 16... Okay, But here's the coolest thing about Aline, Mama. She's a descendant of Catherine of Valois, no. Dowager Queen of England, with no. her second husband, Owen Tudor.
1: What? I mean, does she know this at the time? I or- would think
0: so. She is Houston Big Money.
1: Okay. Okay.
0: She's Houston Big Money. All right, so
1: they're the type of people who would, who keep would, track would know that, that kind of thing. thing. Okay. Right.
0: Pops. So, Dad, Pops marries a socialite <laughs> who is related to Catherine of Valois and Owen Tudor, and all is well. Mom and Pops marry in 1904. Old Howard is born Christmas Eve, 1905. Capricorn baby. Okay. Capricorn men. What are we going to do with you? We've heard some things. Dad has this gig, right? He's got a job, but he takes on other jobs. And there ends up being this piece of machinery. It's this rotor bit, which allows oil to be attained where it couldn't be attained before. And dad doesn't necessarily invent this little piece of machinery, but he does patent it, which is where the money is, and ends up founding Sharp Hughes Tool Company, which becomes worth all of the money in 1909. Sure, Money will no longer be a problem for the Hughes family. I mean, money is going to be a huge problem, but not because of the lack of it. Gotcha. Money gives him control, Howard Jr., He's a Silver Spoon, golden boy. Mm-hmm. He likes it. He wants it and will do anything to get it. And this just isn't professionally like control. He wants control personally and professionally. Control is his watchword. He's a weird kid. Mm-hmm. So dad's working and playboying around and Howard is home with his mom a lot. When mom and dad are together, in order to stop mom and dad from fighting, Howard pretends to be sick and ill. Mm-hmm. So you can... Good. Yeah, this is good, good okay. marriage so far. Lots of, lots of foreshadowing here. But when mom is alone with Howard, she is very overprotective, obsessive attention, which leads Howard to his charming lifelong fear of germs. This relationship has been called emotionally incestuous. Hmm. So she compulsively checks over his naked body temperature bowel movements he is treated like a king like how did you poop today How is your pee what have you eaten let's check over you for any it is weird you don't have anything to say to that because it's so fucking weird
1: like i would just have like i don't know different times i i bet by 16 he could be out of there well Funny that you say that, uh, because maybe by the time Howard
0: was 16, mom needed something new to focus all of her weirdness on, and she sadly dies when Howard is 16 oh. in 1922 in surgery with a ectopic pregnancy. Oh. So oh. at 16, Howard has no mom who's obsessively obsessed over him. At 18, Howard's dad dies of a
1: heart attack. And then Howard is quite rich.
0: Well, sad for Howard, better for his bank account. So, Dad is smart enough to leave a will, which Howard doesn't do. Coming to that at the end of the story. But, Daddy Sr. gives 75% of the tool company to Howard and the remaining 25% to his parents and siblings. But at the age of 19, Howard goes to court in front of a judge. He proves himself to be a competent adult because legal age of majority was 21. And he's like, I'm not waiting until I'm 21 to take fucking control. Thanks very much. So at the age of 19, uh, in 1925, he buys out the rest of his family, becoming full owner of the, yeah, the tool tool company. company. And then promptly leaves that business to be tended by this guy named Noah Dietrich for like the next
1: 30 years. He, he, Whatever, just take so care of it. So he's like the silent partner, basically?
0: Well, he owns it. He knows what's going on. But that company brings him in like 50 million a year. So right. you just run it. I'm going to go over here and do my thing.
1: And so like dad had patented a piece of like an oil derrick or something. One of it's a the- rotor. Yeah. three-headed like, rotor. Okay. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, well, it's just as simple, simple as, as I can, as can it make it. It needs yeah. to be. Okay. okay. So 1925, he buys out the rest of the family. It's but called also, residual income. <laughs> also in 1925. Howard is going to marry his first wife, hmm. Ella Rice.
1: A lot happening very fast in his life Ella, Ella Rice won.
0: Ella Rice won. Ella no, Rice Ella Rice. She is also, like his mother, a Houston socialite. In her family, the Rices are the Rices of oh, Rice, Rice University, University sure. which her uncle donated to the city of Houston.
1: Yeah. All right. Okay, big names, big names.
0: In the Rice family, money and power and access, not a problem. Now, Ella's two years older than Howard. They went to the same high school together. She was voted football queen sometime in between 1917 and 1919. Because she was a great quarterback? (laughs) No, she's the toast of the school, like the jocks digger. I get it. She kind of reminds me of um, Zelda Fitzgerald, okay? So she is probably not going to have much time for the younger super nerd Howard who instead is spending his high school years developing a radio broadcasting tower and the first motorized bicycle in Houston.
1: Yeah, okay. geek's gonna geek. It comes up in my story, too. So family connections bring Ella
0: and Howard together. They are married June 1st, 1925. Neither one of them are 21 yet, but no matter. They are married in a garden ceremony at Ella's sister's home. And the newlyweds should be happy, but they sure as funk art. They sure as fuck aren't. (laughs) They sure as fuck aren't. (laughs) He marries her for her Houston connections. She is maybe unaware she's being used and most assuredly not aware she's marrying a fucking crazy person. So they get hitched. They head on out to California. Because remember, Noah Dietrich Mm -hmm. is watching the business. Mm -hmm. So it's a perfectly good idea for Howard to head on out to Hollywood to make some movies. Because you know, his dad had that showbiz thing and dad was all over that scene. So it is certainly my destiny to land myself in Hollywood. But Hollywood doesn't necessarily like him. He's kind of a dweeb. But they like that he has all that cash. He is seen as a sucker with money. But you're also forgetting that he's super weird. So he gets to Hollywood and wants to learn kind of admirable because he does this a number of times in his life. But like, Wants to learn the business from the ground up. So he is taking apart film projectors and putting them back together again. And learning the ins and outs of movie making, which is made much easier for him because he stays awake for like 40 hours at a time. Oh. And just like will open a can of beans every once in a while or eat a bacon sandwich because I got to fuel up for my obsessive compulsive disorder rages.
1: Wow. Okay. I didn't I I guess I thought that the mental illness manifested much later in life. No, it starts no, early. Okay. And there's
0: actually a pivot point that okay. it is going to take you by surprise coming up, but it it happens early. <laughs> He's got some significant issues, and there's no medication for obsessive-compulsive disorder at right. this time. Like,
1: there's not... No, and, and I'll, I'll submit that uh, my dad was uh, a pilot and an in- inventor, and so... Like, I, I heard parts of the Howard Hughes story all throughout my oh, childhood.
0: Sure. <laughs> You've Did, never heard didn't it like hear this. hear these parts.
1: Yeah. <laughs> and these are your uh, aunt bits on the porch. So he's. Come, let me tell you a story. So he's out in Hollywood and wants to learn filmmaking by taking apart projection. <laughs> well, it makes you
0: wonder, like, legit. Like, I think about the movie Sling Blade. Like, if he had had not a penny to his name, would he have been better just sitting in a small town somewhere being the motor fix-it guy? And when something broke in that town, you brought it down to old Howard. Right. You know, bring it down to old Socrates. Yeah. He'll fix it right up for you. Yeah. Okay. But remember Howard's married. So sure to in his forty A- hour Rice. rages. And oh God. Wine. Ella. Ella Rice Wine. Ella Rice Wine is like literally locked inside the house. And Princess in the Tower, right? And Howard's making films. One actually one actually gets an Oscar. So that's cool. (laughs) Okay. But during the time that Ella's locked up in the tower, Howard is also carrying on this hot and heavy, like three year affair with this actress named Billy Love, who ends up getting engaged to marry him. They head on to Nevada because she's married too. And they move in together to see what that would be like, but set themselves up as brother and sister. That's what everybody thinks. But... That relationship, probably because she goes and lives with him and she's like, you're a fucking crazy person. Yeah. That relationship breaks off. But wait, when that tanks, Howard breaks back into Billy's home back in Hollywood, takes all of her furniture, loads it in a van, drives that van to fucking Wiltshire Boulevard and sets it on fire. So cool.
1: Oh, my God.
0: Okay. According to a Houston historian, he just wasn't cut out to be a husband. It never occurred to him to go home. But he likes his girls at home. And even when he's married or still single, he stashes women all over town and puts spies on their asses so they can't go anywhere else either.
1: He's very weird. Yeah. this. I was thinking when you said earlier that he was weird that it meant that he had a hard time connecting with people. Sounds like he doesn't, at least with women. It sounds like he knows. We're going to get there. Okay. Hold
0: on. So let's go back to poor Ella Rice wine for a second. Can you imagine? No. Like if there were only such a thing as medication for OCD, but Howard's full blown. And after four years, Ella is like, get me the fuck out of here. So she heads on back to Houston and files for divorce on the grounds of abandonment and cruelty. Ella that same year goes on to marry a man named James Winston, and they spend fifty nine happy years together until her death in nineteen ninety two. Wow! I know. Good for her. Good for them. Happy ending for her, and I'm terribly pleased about that bit because the rest of the story garbage pile after garbage pile. But trashy divorce one handled. Yeah. Ella Rice Wine has a very happy ending.
1: It sounds like this is a good guy to get away from. So good for her. Good for. Billy, the mistress, like good. Yeah. Good job. Well, yeah. Oh, 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 gets better. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) So now Howard's a free
0: man and he really likes brunettes. Like he has a definite type, but he likes girls, but he's also weird around them. But money helps. Sure. And remember, Noah still has the business handled. Right. 50 million a year coming in. Money, not a problem. Billy Dove out of the picture. But Howard's like, all right, I'm still stashing women all over town. That's fine. But I'm going to make some more pictures. And with his next little uh, endeavor, it's a film called Hell's Angels, which is a disaster because he spends so long filming it. It was a silent film. He spends so long filming it and waiting for the clouds to be exactly perfect before he can shoot that scene. Right. That talkies have now taken over in Hollywood. And so he has to reshoot it again, and he ends up booting the original actress in the silent film. She has a heavy accent, can't use her, and replaces her with this gal named Harlene Carpenter, whose screen name will become Jean Harlow. Oh. Mm-hmm. <laughs> he introduced a lot of Hollywood talent to the scene. Mm-hmm. Jane Russell, Jean Harlow. Like, Okay. Hells Angels filming this is also where he gets into his first plane crash. Just kind of keep a plane crash tally oh he walks away well clearly this time but he's emboldened next he's going to make this film called scarface which the hayes office in hollywood has utterly blackballed for its violence rape and incest uh it's about like loosely al capone and Mm -hmm. gangsta so howard control not one to take things lying down nobody tells him no goes on to sue the hayes office in hollywood and wins and ends up showing the film he wants like don't make any mistake howard is not a champion of first amendment rights sure. he just knows how to gear up publicity right mm-hmm. like there's this thing with jane russell and the publicity he wants and like what he makes her do with her bra or lack of one and he he's a he's a fucking louse okay but Howard's done now with the film industry. And by the early to mid 1930s, he has decided instead he wants to be a pilot.
1: Okay, I was about to ask, like, so when does this guy get into making airplanes? So, okay.
0: Okay, just like he did with films, sure. he wants to learn how it all works by taking it apart sure. and putting it back together again. And remember, money is no object. So he takes a gig for $250 a month with American Airlines. And works as a baggage handler and assistant pilot. I think he goes by the name of Charles Howard or something. Totally like the brother-sister undercover thing. He's going to assume, like, he could have been a great actor, right? Let me assume this role of baggage handler for American Airlines. Anyway, that takes like two months. Two months later, he and his working buddy quit. And they found Hughes Aircraft. (laughs) And they make fast planes. And this is not a podcast about aviation. I'm sorry to break it to you, Stacy. It's about divorces. So let me sum this thing up. He's a millionaire sportsman. He sets a lot of records. I'm sorry. I shouldn't say that with such disdain in my voice. But I researched a lot of material. and A lot of it is about his aviation strides and yeah. innovation and in changing the world of flight. Yeah, all and of how- which he, he did. Super cool inventor. Okay.
1: <laughs> he sets a lot of records weirdo genius weirdo genius film at 11
0: he crashes a few more planes without cool. significant injury i See, think we to like three crashes that now. is
1: really i mean most people three don't, so far i know most people don't walk away from one so he's honored by fdr
0: in 1937 he ends up setting a world record for around the world in three days and 19 hours in 1938 like I've been training my
1: whole life to stay awake yeah, for three days and 80 hours. hours.
0: Yeah. He So comes he, was,
1: he was like an adventurer, kind of like a millionaire he was, he was right. The kind of genius, guy who movie, yeah. life magazine would write him up, that kind of stuff.
0: Oh wait, life magazine, time magazine does mm-hmm. write him up in 1938 because he's a public hero. There right. are like four parades inside of three days. And, um, but Howard doesn't like being written up. So he buys all 175,000 copies of that magazine and burns them all. Okay. Okay. So by 1940, he's bought part of TWA because money's never going to be a problem, but it's always going to be a problem. During this time, God, like, let's pull out a list of who is who in Hollywood because he dates them to all of them. Katherine Hepburn, Ava Gardner, Ginger Rogers, Jane Russell, Olivia de Havilland, like, name a starlet – Large, medium, small, doesn't matter. He's got them holed up. And it also helps when he goes out to parties that he brings trays of expensive jewelry, brooches and rings and necklaces. So like, Starlars are like, oh, sure, I'd love this emerald necklace. Thanks. I'll dance with you again.
1: Like, Where'd you get that? Oh, the guy with the jewelry tray.
0: The guy with the fucking jewelry tray. All right. Okay, so I'm sure that helps. Not pretentious at all. Uh, lots of ladies, right? Still are going to leave him in the lurch because he may be super rich and famous, but he's also fucking weird. weird. Okay. 1940s. T.W.A. In, he does the original design for this plane called the Lockheed Constellation. Mm-hmm. And the war is on. So he's got some government contracts. And he crashes some more. He's schmoozing it up with Elliot Roosevelt, FDR's son, and all of his political friends. So they're coming out to California, where he's bamboozling them with wine, women, and song, but not getting much result for the government's request to, hey, make a flying boat so we can win the war. Flying and boats flying are boat. tougher than you'd think. Mm, they seem kind of tough.
1: Flying boats are I mean, a little tougher. This was the inspiration for... Spruce Goose. Well, but for Tony Stark and Iron, Iron Man. Sure. Right? Like, the just the genius womanizing maybe. Mr. Fix-It. Okay,
0: sure, I can go with
1: that. Like, just genius inventor. I have another historical parallel coming up, maybe. but
0: maybe, maybe Iron Man for L- the, little for bit the of, new kids. A little bit of... Okay, maybe, yeah. I, I can totally see that. In 1946, he crashes again, and it's bad. It's super bad. Uh, he's in shock. He's got burns. They pretty much leave him in the hospital on a shit ton of morphine and leave him to die oh, because wow. there's no way that... He's going to be okay. Right. But he recovers. Oh. He's never right again. But hold on. Here's the weirdest part. Howard's 41 when this happens, the same age as his tutor relative, Henry VIII, when his joust for real accident takes him down. Oh, do you remember this? Yeah. Okay. So. Yeah, he has a concussion or he's in a coma for a minute. and That's then- exactly right. And it changes Henry VIII's personality forever. It does Howard's too. So let's think about little kingly boys, right? Because it's mm. kind of the same. It it's is. Very, you're inspected, rejected, mm-hmm. let's look at your poop, let's, you know... You're catered, you're, no one ever tells you no, you have a golden spoon. If you're in trouble for something, you have a whipping boy that somebody else spanks for you, like, you never suffer a consequence. And you have a traumatic accident at this onset in middle age that you never physically recover from, and it makes you weirder than you already were weird in the beginning. Okay. Neither one of them physically recovers. But Howard's addiction to morphine and codeine are born in this. So add weird, add physical consequence, making it super weird, and then add a drug addiction. Right, to that.
1: right. So, Good yeah.
0: So, so
1: famous eccentric now has a problem.
0: So both Henry VIII and Howard Hughes each become way more reclusive and secretive, and manifest their personality quirks into like the worst ways, beginning at the same age. Like just thought it was neat. Also. Howard Hughes, during this time, is designing the hospital bed that everyone uses now where you can adjust the bed for yourself because you used to just be able to lay straight out until he makes the bed that you can... It, right. The adjustable, okay. yeah. So that's something. The adjustable hospital bed. Sure. Thank you, Howard Hughes. Okay. So while we're recovering, they're still trying to make the fucking flying plane. The and, flying boat. Yeah, the flying plane boat. And there's some fun Senate extortion... That happens here. Senate extortion? Yeah. Okay. Senate extra We love an extortion plot. Let's mm-hmm. add it to a morphine coding OCPD psych profile. Mine has one too. So Extortion's not fun unless it's fun for everyone, Stacy. <laughs> okay. So there's a senator, Senator Brewster. And he wants to haul Howard in for wasting 40 million of your tax dollars. And Howard Hughes is like, I'm happy to come in. And ends up testifying that this whole thing started because, in fact, Senator Brewster, didn't you and I have lunch on this day in the ambassador where you said you would go ahead and call off this sham investigation if I went ahead and let TWA merge with Pan American Airlines? Because all y'all are and always will be a bunch of crooks. And by the way, I've spent way more than $40 million of my own money, so you can come fuck right off. And why don't you come out and watch my plane fly? Which it does. November 2nd, 1947, 60 tons of a flying plane boat (laughs) leave from Long Beach Harbor, goes airborne, stays up for like a mile. It can fly. Woo. All right. Howard Hughes is like, fuck off. My boat flies. That's the end of the Brewster hearings. Brewster actually has a hard time, doesn't get reelected, has a hard time finding a job and is found begging in the Senate hallways for like any kind of job somebody can give him after that because Howard Hughes essentially ruins him. Ruined
1: his career. That's amazing.
0: But Howard is still a ladies man and apparently he can dance. And well, the jewelry and the dancing. Yeah. Right. Help a lot. So he is man about town. He proposes to Elizabeth Taylor, who turns him down. Good call. He has this thing he really likes to tell every girl that he's dancing with or giving jewelry to that he'll marry them a little like edward the fourth that way like oh sure i just want to fuck you oh we got to get married okay we can totally do that just put a pin in that lana turner believes this and thinks that she's going to marry him at one point and like, this is the south like you know it's serious when you monogram your towels with your future married name which Lana Turner does, monogram new towels for herself and Howard sees them and is like, nope, nobody, nah. Okay, so after conquering the film world and then the world of aviation and being injured as fuck and halfway more than out of his mind in 1948 in May, he decides he's missing movies a lot. So he goes ahead and buys RKA Studios. It's a good way to get girls. It Well, and it gets you back into. But he never yeah. goes to the studio. He has an office across the street where he watches everything that's been filmed in the studio that day that people bring over to him. So he can stay in his weird little recluse room. Control. Okay. He owns a cheap Chevy with no radio. He's like, who do I have to impress? He never has money on him. Like he, money is not even anything that crosses his mind on a goddamn giving day. Okay. Still staying up in all the marathon sessions, helped along now by morphine and codeine, so super fun. Now his sessions can go 60 hours, and people are simply talking, like, through doors or pushing papers underneath. Or if he's lonely, he'll have someone come in the room and sit with him, but they're never allowed to talk. He can talk to them. They don't talk back. Okay.
1: Has he considered getting a cat? (laughs)
0: I can't even imagine his head would blow off his body. Okay. So his OCD is getting worse. In the night in the early 1950s, he buys a home in Las Vegas called the Greenhouse. And he likes Vegas because he can go there and be kind of anonymous and be up all night. He bunks at the greenhouse until 1955. He does some retrofitting to it. Just to give you an idea about a little bit of his home craziness. He brings in multiple host- hotel-size air conditioners okay. to cool like a 2,000-square-foot house. Yeah.
1: Okay. So he wanted it cold,
0: cold. Cold, cold. He has 50 telephones installed with like hearing boosters because I, I forgot to mention he's super hard of hearing now. Uh. Okay.
1: Yeah, jet engines are loud.
0: Well, and crashing and head, mm-hmm. t- t- it's all bad. So RKO is kind of tanking and he starts firing employees right and left for being communists. So here's another wrench in the story because technically he has two divorces. Maybe, maybe he has two and a half. Okay, so you ready? Mm-hmm. There's a young actress named Terry Moore and she is 15 when Howard engineers a meeting with her. Howard, everybody's favorite control man, has to have her, which parallels nicely, honestly, with Henry VIII and Catherine Howard when he's a dirty middle-aged old man and she's a young, innocent 15-year-old virgin. And she's like the last virgin in Hollywood, but she's 15. All right. She won't fuck him till we get married. And Howard has no problem with that because he wants to marry everyone. So he's going to do anything to get her into bed. He he marries
1: a 15-year-old? Well,
0: I think she's a little They marry in 1949, but listen to how they marry. Terry says they were secretly married on a chartered yacht out in international waters.
1: Oh. So that will get you around a lot of...
0: They marry, but the papers are tossed and doesn't mean anything really until he dies. She's married three more times and divorced three more times too. Ultimately, Terry Moore says it was Hughes's need for other women that drove them apart. He was honest in business, but dishonest with women. His motto was, it's okay as long as you don't get caught. He could lie better than anyone. Mm. She says that they were quote unquote married until 1956, but they never divorced. Oh, and she marries more? But she remarries again in 1956 as soon as this one's over. So it's all weird. Put a pin in that. So
1: like they break up, but, but also they married in international waters and there's no documentation. It all seems flimsy. Okay. correct.
0: Okay. But we have one more wife to get to.
1: Okay. Jean
0: Peters. Jean Peters meets Howard back in the 40s. They have a super hot and heavy romance by 1947 that's looking pretty serious. But she is not going to give it up because she's a career gal. She's a good actress, too. Like, people like her. She's really well thought of. She's like, I can't marry you. But that doesn't stop Howard's goons from following her around, too. Like, he's got honey stashed everywhere. Yeah. Weird. By 1947, she is fresh off a divorce from a Texas oil man. And that marriage really only lasted a few months. And Howard and Gene Peters at this time do marry. Which is weird, because he's a fucking recluse. Like, Jean is a talented actress. She's friends with Marilyn Monroe. Her life is fine. But she ends up marrying him. And for the next 14 years, Jean pretty much lives by the phone, waiting for him to call. Because they don't see each other. He's too busy moving from hotel to hotel room. Oh yeah, and buying up Las Vegas hotels so he can move into them too. She retires. Gene Peter, like, retires from acting, retires from everything, and lives as as a fucking recluse just waiting for him to call her. She's in lockdown. Like, she's the one who puts herself in the tower and stays there for 14 fucking years. Later, I know. Okay. Later, it's reported that she does do some charity and philanthropy work. She'd maybe take some classes at UCLA but 14 years of being phone-a-wife apparently grows stale, and by 1971, they are done. Jean agrees to no future claim on his estate in exchange for $70,000 a year, which is a little less than half a million these days. Okay. She refuses to speak about the marriage and says she prefers to focus on the present and the future. She does quickly remarry, just like Ella Swine, and this marriage is a keeper. They, they remain married until his death. Jean Peters does not want to be known as Mrs. Howard Hughes for the rest of her life. She is quoted, I'm a realist. I know what the score is, and I know who the superstar is. So, GTFO, wife two and a half, okay. out. Okay. There are so many threads that we can talk about, but we have wrapped the trashy divorces part here. Okay. Until his death in April 1976, Hughes is coddled and pretty much kept by a bunch of sycophants that just let all of his weird OCD things take over. Cleansing rituals, curtains have to be closed and taped, windows are taped, everything is touched with tissues, alcohol is used religiously to wipe everything down, you can never shake anybody's hand, you have to have gloves on, everything all the time, and oh, you can only open the drawer for the tiniest amount or the door for the tiniest amount because then dust and insects will get in. You have to get in and out before the bugs.
1: I mean, this sounds like a miserable way to live, but... Um...
0: He dies of kidney failure in April of 1976. Remember, he is over six feet tall. I've seen it, it both reported 6'1 and 6'4. He weighs 93 pounds at the time of his death. Okay, the best part. He leaves no will. None. not a. Nothing. Zero. So there's a lot of nonsense in court battles. Because remember the never-divorced Terry Moore? Mm-hmm. Remember, okay, International Sea Wedding? She wants her share. Along with some other dude. Her alleged share. Her alleged share. <laughs> Along with this other dude who claims to have picked up this ragged old man out in the desert one night. It's like a country and western song. Brings him back to Las Vegas. So there's a version of the will called the Mormon will that this guy, this good Samaritan, gets 25%. Oh,
1: yeah. This podcast probably, is Trashy Divorces, not true.
0: Trashy Probate. <laughs> but I might get in a little bit to this on Trashy Tidbits. Well, and so he,
1: he had no children through
0: any of these? Terry Moore references all these mystery alleged children.
1: Right, but there were no known, like, acknowledged. Um, we're going to talk
0: about it on Trashy Tidbits this our, week. Then... No, so this podcast is Trashy Divorces, not Trashy Probate. So I'm going to get into the will and the fallout and the execution and who, how, all that bit happened on Trashy Tidbits this week.
1: Okay, may I ask, though? Sure. What was his net worth, roughly, at the time of his death? Oh,
0: God, $6 billion? I don't know. Okay. Well, no, because he sells TWA. Mm-hmm. So not only was he making a fortune on Tool Hughes... He sold TWA, which gives him the ability to buy literally like eight hotel properties in was, Las Vegas. Uh, I mean, that
1: seems like a pretty good Las- way to make some money, too, is to own a bunch of ho- hotels in Vegas.
0: This story is so full of the Ikes. Yeah. Yeah. We're, yeah. Okay. Billions. Billions right. is what he was worth. I look like,
1: forward to recording Trashy Tidbits with you. Mm.
0: Uh, richest man in the U.S. until... I don't know who's coming next. Okay. So... That's Howard Hughes. I like him even less than when I started this whole stupid story. And I don't know how to count trash cans for this one, so I tried. I'm going to give fifty nine trash cans to Ella Rice Wine and fifty nine just because of her happy next marriage and yeah, all the happiness she had. For so sure. fifty nine there. Terry Moore, international yacht wife. wedding, mm-hmm. sea wife. Uh, gets 350,000 trash cans because that's the amount she got from his estate when it went into probate. All right. Okay. Poor Jean Peters. I'm going to give her 14 trash cans for the years she waited by the phone being married to a crazy man waiting for him to call.
1: Yeah, that's sad. Howard Hughes himself
0: gets all the trash cans, but he'd never touch them because, yeah. Germs, yeah. But he'd want to control them. <laughs> Never touch them. I
1: don't know. He would make them fly.
0: Weird dude. And I think the Henry VIII parallel, like it's very strange. Sometimes the connections that pop in my brain when I'm researching a story. No, I mean. But there's Howard Hughes. And he's going to touch so many other famous divorcees because he literally every side he had a thousand girlfriends who were all in the spreadsheet for trashy divorces with their own trashy divorces. So right. it's not the last time we're going to see old Howard. Old Howard Hughes. Ass Howard Hughes. <laughs>
1: <laughs> That's amazing. So at the time of his death, he was over six feet tall, weighed 93 pounds, and had a net worth of about many billions of dollars. I mean,
0: many, I don't know if it's like it's but enormous. Sure, billions. Enormous. And he dies, like, on a plane en route, and they end up finding hypodermic needles just sticking in his body. Whoever you're paying that much money to care for you is not caring for you that well, dude. Get a friend. Sometimes it's good to tell a Capricorn man no. Sometimes it's good. Yeah, I think
1: the the problem really, yeah, people who are this powerful, like, they... You've never been told no. They never learn boundaries, yeah, because... They'll just fire you if, you, it, but like, we're sort of seeing that play out. But in his public right, life, Dad today. dies.
0: Who's everybody's been on Dad's payroll, and mm-hmm. now they're all on Howard's right. payroll, and nobody's going to talk. Yeah. back to
1: no, he's you know, the new princeling. Yeah,
0: he's your court and keep. You know, yeah. I, ugh. Anyway, that's right. the trashy divorce arc of Howard Weirdo Hughes. Yeah,
1: I I knew very little of that. Creeper. I knew about Hughes Aviation, like that was. My dad. I oh, set my shit on fire.
0: Because you... What? Anyway, let's take a break.
1: Let's take a and break. And come back for some current rich, rich, rich people saga. Mm, yes. Yes. Sibling fights are unavoidable, but what if every fight you had was under a microscope on a global scale? That's the reality for brothers Prince William and Prince Harry. They were each other's closest friends and allies since the death of their mother... But that all began to crack as they married and took wildly different approaches to their royal duties. Wondery's podcast, Dis Tell, is hosted by comedians
0: Sidney Battle and Matt Bellisai. Each episode unpacks one of pop culture's most iconic celebrity feuds, and they recently took a deeper look into the real reason William versus Harry started.
1: It's actually much bigger than these two brothers, stretching back into the history of the British monarchy. Did their feud start with the royal family's mistreatment of Meghan Markle, or was it something that started much earlier? Follow Disantel on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts.
0: So, Stacy, you oh, got least. some billion, billion, billions, more billions than Howard Hughes.
1: <laughs> A lot more billions, more billions than anyone, really, more billions than it's easy to think about, really, because this is the really oddly trashy divorce of Jeff Bezos and his wife of 25 years, Mackenzie Bezos. 25 years. Yeah. Let's hear it. I'm telling the Bezos divorce story this week because it has almost... Everything. There's international intrigue. There's cyber crimes. There's a catastrophic misfire. There's potentially scary technology. But what this story doesn't have, interestingly enough, is a particularly trashy divorce. Ah. Sort of oh, like external okay. forces make it trashy. It but has everything except what the podcast All is about. Knows. Sure, let's dig in. <laughs> Everyone knows who Jeff Bezos is, so we're going to start with his wife again of 25 years. Mackenzie. Mackenzie Tuttle was born in San Francisco on April 7th, 1970. I don't know what that makes her. Something springish. She's an Aries. Okay. She was raised by a financial planner dad who must have done quite well and a stay at home mom. Mackenzie herself was shy and took to books and later writing. Ah. She attended the Fru Connecticut Hotchkiss Boarding School.
0: Ooh, that's pretty Fru Fru.
1: I think so. Then went on to Princeton where oh. she studied fiction under Toni Morrison. Wow. Who became a mentor throughout the rest of Morrison's life. What? And also Toni Morrison just passed away this year and it is a tragedy. We miss Toni Morrison, but I didn't know that. Wow.
0: Yeah. Interesting. Yeah,
1: Morrison had Morrison said that she was one of the most talented students she'd ever had, like oh, um, Wow. Yeah. So anyway, so Mackenzie goes to New York after she graduates. She planned to write for a living, but she also planned to eat while she was doing it. So she applied for a job at a hedge fund, and she was interviewed by, I think, the youngest senior vice president in the company history, in the history of the company, named Jeff Bezos. Oh, wow. Workplace romance. Workplace romance. Don't do it. He was also a Princeton grad, so they kind of hit it off. She was really smitten, and there was a profile in vogue of her in 2013, and pretty much all of the quotes that I use in the section are from that profile link okay. on the website. Okay. She said, My office was next door to his and all day long I listened to that fabulous laugh. How could you not fall in love with that laugh? No, this is very sweet. They were engaged in three months. Wow. And they were married three months after that. Holy cats. Mm-hmm. She was twenty three years old. Talk about making big decisions in your life. She was twenty three years old. He was probably twenty nine I don't know. When you you know, you know. Yeah. He starts telling her about this crazy idea that he has for an internet-based bookstore. And in 1994, both of them quit the hedge fund, drive across the country, and move to Seattle. It's crazy kids. I mean, yeah. Amazon.com was born, followed soon after by three sons. And then uh, they adopted a daughter from China. So four kids. She worked at Amazon early on. She was a bookkeeper. But once it took off, you know, and there were kids, she focused on the kids. And she sacrificed her writing for about the next decade. Oh, wow. She says, writing is such a pretend profession. Um, Nobody is counting on you at all. You can't pretend to be a lawyer or a teacher. It takes a lot of grit to continue. Kids, on the other hand, have an urgent need to be taken care of. After the third child, I knew I couldn't be the kind of parent I wanted to be and continue writing. Those years were just too busy. So I think that's a story that happens to many people. Wow. We talked um, a
0: little bit about this on our book club
1: mm-hmm, for Easy Big Magic Easy Book Club with Big Magic. Mm-hmm. So both of the Bezoses are very involved parents. And since they're also insanely rich, uh, they get to do all kinds of educational experiments with the kids. So they've tried homeschooling. They indulge in off-season travels to expose the kids to the world. They've incubated chicken eggs. They've had like private Mandarin lessons. They... <laughs> oh wow um yeah sports clubs the world is your oyster yeah that's exactly yeah you've got billions and they're in you know upscale suburban seattle like one of those communities a lot of opportunity yeah yeah just yeah they're swimming in um very good water (laughs) i don't know Mackenzie though she is she's like the drop off and pick up mom right like other moms are talked to in this profile with vogue and they're like, you'd never know she was. That's you our know, friend Mac. Mackenzie Bezos. Mm-hmm. Like, she's really down to earth. She's really normal. The kids aren't like isolated by wealth, they play with the neighborhood kids. I do think they live in the same neighborhood as Bill Gates. Sure. They <laughs> live in Miller a nice Gates. neighborhood. Super good neighborhood. <laughs> but yeah. Um, anyway, so once the kids were old enough not to need constant tending, she was finally able to write some novels. Oh, good. Yay! I love this part. Yeah, the first was called The Testing of Luther Albright, which took 10 years to write, and it won the 2006 American Book Award. Holy fuck! Kind of a big deal. In 2013, she released a book called Traps that had positive reviews. I have not read either of these books. Like many parents with a creative habit, she often gets up very early to write. Jeff Bezos, back in 2013 when things were good, said... Quote, writing makes her really happy. By the time I come down, she will be literally dancing in the kitchen, which the kids and I love. You got to fill your cup up first. Yep. Uh, in 2014, she founded an anti-bullying organization called Bystander Revolution, and she continues to serve as executive director. Good for her. All right. So that's McKinsey. Good person. Jeff. Okay. And like, you know, Jeff Bezos is just somebody who's sort of omnipresent, and I guess I'd never actually kind of looked into anything about his life, because it turns out that his origin story is way more compelling than I knew. For instance, he was born Jeffrey Preston Jorgensen, January 12, 1964. Cap. Cap. Oh, Cap, man. Sometimes you got to tell Capricorn men no. It's well, good for him. Life was telling young Jeffrey Jorgensen no. His mother was 17 at the time of his birth. Oh, wow. She was still in high school. Okay. Uh, I guess she did marry his dad, but that was not meant to be ended in divorce when he was quite young when jeff was four his mom married miguel mike bezos who was a cuban immigrant really and um he was in college at the time he adopted jeff so that's where he got the name bezos no longer a good scandinavian fella he's cuban now he's cuban now anyway so mike adopts jeff Mike gets his degree from the University of New Mexico, and then the family moves to Houston, where Mike worked as an engineer for Exxon. Oh, wow. Later, they moved to Miami, and high school-aged Jeff worked at McDonald's in the morning and geeked out all day long. He was into science and technology and did not care who knew. He graduated as valedictorian. Good for him. He went to Princeton. He studied electrical engineering and computer science. And he graduated in 1986 with a 4.2 GPA. Jesus
0: Christ, that's crazy. It's
1: crazy. Anyway, yeah, so he's... Apparently is a Overachiever. kid... Overachiever. Yeah, he apparently as a kid, like, built an alarm from scratch to let him know when his younger siblings were trying to get into his room or something. Like, Whoa. Yeah, he's geeky, nerdy, techy. He's one of those. I didn't
0: know we we're doing two Sheldons. He's today. a he's a
1: young Howard Hughes, yeah. as it were. Wow! All right, so he out of college, he like worked for a fintech startup. He got into banking, then the hedge fund where he met Mackenzie. And during that cross country drive to Seattle with her, he wrote the business plan for this idea he had. Like you do, Cadabra. So the
0: name of it Cadabra. What's the
1: name of it? He gets to Seattle and he realizes like wow, that starts with the third letter of the alphabet, but Amazon starts with the first. So early SEO wizardry. I'm not sure. Wow. I'm not sure what That's anyway. Crazy. So he went with Amazon instead. He launched it from his garage on July 5th, 1994 with $300,000 in seed money from his parents. Okay. I mean, he was straight up with everybody. He his told His parents probably got recouped. Oh, that
0: loan.
1: Wow, <laughs> uh, he told early investors that the company would almost certainly fail. <laughs> and,
0: it's a good business plan. Uh,
1: the ones who were willing to take the risk really got some reward for that. Um, Amazon has made Jeff and Mackenzie a lotta, of lot of money, but it's also been controversial. The corporate culture there is described in ruthlessly Darwinian terms, and employees in the field seem to genuinely be treated as interchangeable cogs, whose only function is to meet ever tighter deadlines, while Bezos did boost wages to 15 an hour in 2018. Amazon has just been like drafting on Walmart's earlier, you know, workforce abuse misadventures. Sure. And, you know, I hope that gets sorted somehow. But also, I order Amazon constantly, so it's kind of my fault. Anyway, Jeff has had other business interests as well, including a human spaceflight startup called Blue Origin. It was founded in 2000, and it hopes to begin commercial flights of its new Shepard capsule next year. This is unbelievable! Though, in fairness, it originally hoped to do that this year. I applaud them for taking their time and not getting anybody killed. Yeah, good plan. Good plan, good plan. But again, I mean, modern-day Howard Hughes, a little bit. Let's go to space. Mm-hmm. And yeah, let's take like, you know, civilians to space, uh, commercial space, whatever. All right. Then there was the little matter of his 2013 purchase of the Washington Post. I think he shook his couch cushions around and- Found some quarters. Found uh, $250 million in cash. Sure. And the paper was his, which would become a major I'm plot real. point a few years later and factor into the truly bonzo story that made his divorce trashy. Okay.
0: Shake it out. Shake it out.
1: Part the third. It seems like Jeff and Mackenzie Bezos had a genuinely great marriage for quite a long time. So it came as something of a shock. years, that's remarkable. Mm-hmm. So it came as something of a shock when on January 9th, 2019, Jeff tweeted out a message signed Jeff and Mackenzie that read, quote, We want to make people aware of a development in our lives. Rich people are so, like, calm. Yeah. Oh, it's a very flat affect. Things are changing, but we're still really rich. So it's kind of going to be okay. (laughs) Okay. We want to make people aware of a development in our lives. As our family and close friends know, after a long period of Loving exploration and trial separation, we have decided to divorce and continue our shared lives as friends. We feel incredibly lucky to have found each other and deeply grateful for every one of the years we have been married to each other. If we had known we would separate after 25 years, we would do it all again. We've had such a great life together as a married couple. And we also see wonderful futures ahead as parents, friends, partners in ventures and projects, and as individuals pursuing ventures and adventures. Jesus Christ. <laughs> Though the labels might be different, we remain a family and we remain cherished friends. Well, that is
0: a really... Jeff and
1: McKenzie, consciously uncoupling. Classy email. The thing
0: that I find more horrifying... We can just back up. Yeah. That was January 2019. Mm-hmm. That's how long this year has been. It, is yeah, it I know. It feels like. I know. God, that
1: divorce took like eight years, right? No, that was January of this year. Mm hmm. I know. It's only September. It's, yeah, I know. We're living in very long years. We had
0: like one episode of Trashy Divorces out then, and we were excited because we we're like, yeah, we'll we can cover this one in the.
1: Yeah, we wow. didn't. Yeah, we've actually had to wait for this to play out because. What's about to happen was so trashy. Okay. So at the time, January 9th, at the time, they were worth $137 billion. It is such an absurd amount of money that it's hard to think about it. So I'm going to try to like give it some context. Okay, good. Because my brain hurts. Okay, In the world where there are roughly 200 countries, 135 of them have an annual gross domestic product that is lower than the wealth of Jeff and Mackenzie Bezos. Oh, my God. Mm Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay, so here's another fun fact. You know, these are residents of Seattle in the state of Washington. Governor Jay Inslee proposed a $54.4 billion state budget for fiscal year 2019. Oh, my God. Which means that they could operate the state of Washington. And 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 it's 7.5 million people, yeah, for almost three years. (laughs) Unbelievable. I mean, it is hard to... $137 137 billion dollars. That's
0: how lazy we are America. That is how lazy we are getting Amazon sent to our fucking house that we have made a 137 billionaire cuz we can't put on pants. You know, I think and actually
1: guilty. I think actually Amazon's bigger thing is its web services. Oh, maybe. I think I think the storefront does well, but I think the big big dollar contract stuff is actually on the back end with big corporations with like People need secure forever storage. Sure. And that's what they that's what they buy from Jeff Bezos. That's
0: crazy. Hundred and thirty-seven okay. billion.
1: Yeah, like I'm certain that they've worked hard to earn their money, but oh, for sure. No, but I mean, have they worked harder than like have they worked $137 billion harder I, than? Yeah. Like, I don't think so. So I realize a lot of this is actually stock and that it's more complicated than that, and yada yada yada, but seriously. I mean, you think about this amount of money and what could be done with it, and you can kind of understand the lefty sentiment that every billionaire is a policy failure. Like, lots of people start... We started a company, like, $137 billion. Like, <laughs> that's, that's just a lot of money. Okay, so because of all of those dollar signs, this pending divorce instantly was the subject of great speculation, sure. as you would expect. We didn't know if it was as amicable as their "everybody's happy" Twitter message suggested, or if McKenzie was going to play hardball. So their entire fortune was built during the marriage, and Washington is a community property state, which means that McKenzie is technically entitled to half. Yeah. Could Jeff come up with sixty-eight billion dollars in cash <laughs> and stock? I guess. Like, and then the biggest question of all is, would Amazon be part of the divorce? Right. Because they co-own the company, I guess. So tabloids quickly reported out that Jeff and Mackenzie had been separated for about a year and that oh. he had begun dating a Los Angeles television personality named Lauren Sanchez, oh. who was herself separated from her husband. Oh, It also soon became clear uh, why Jeff and Mackenzie had gone public when they did. Why is that? The day after the tweet... The National Enquirer, oh, no. run by the poorly named David Pecker, published a trove such a poor name such a poor name published a trove of sometimes quite saucy text messages between Jeff and uh. Lauren in an eleven-page expose. Oh my, that's a lot of copy. It's a lot of copy, and they were what you would expect. I want to smell you. I want to breathe you in. I want to hold you tight. I want to kiss your lips. I love you. I am in love with you. Uh. Yeah, I'll spare you these are easy to acquire <laughs> if you want to Google. The Enquirer had assigned a team to trail Bezos and Sanchez for months during 2018, photographing them on the sly and the pictures they published were um, not really the big deal here. like there were other pictures that were a bigger deal. So the concern for like everybody involved, including Amazon was that Jeff's phone had been hacked somehow and you can imagine, as a hundred and thirty-seven billion-dollar rare, and the leader of some of the most important companies on the planet, you, like that's a huge, huge problem if his phone has been hacked. And for like, I don't know why, but he was just convinced pretty much right away that the Inquirer had gotten his side of the text exchange, not her side of the text exchange. Like that. It, anyway, because she sounded just as dorky as I did. Yeah. No, I mean, I think they got her texts as well, but he just, he was convinced that it came from his phone and not hers. And I'm not sure why he believed that, but that set into motion. So the Inquirer floated a story. Can that, I back up and just ask a stupid
0: question? Yeah. Why does the Inquirer care about what Jeff Bezos is doing? Are you going to get to that? I, yeah, I'm going to. Okay, great. I'm going to get to that. Awesome. Um
1: Yeah, it's, it's complicated and convoluted. So the Inquirer floated a story that. Uh, Lauren Sanchez's Trumpy brother had gotten the material and sold it to the Inquirer for two hundred thousand dollars, and he he did sell them some information, but they contacted him and showed him text messages that they already had. Oh, so it yeah, like he did sell them stuff for two hundred k, but yeah, thanks, bro. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, he sorry, did I, I I meant estranged brother? Yeah, for real. It turns out that Pecker and the Inquirer, shady to the core as always, were about to make a cataclysmic miscalculation. So the supermarket tabloid had only recently signed a non-prosecution agreement with federal prosecutors investigating its role in Donald Trump's 2016 campaign violations, campaign finance violations. One provision of that agreement was that the Inquirer, and I didn't know this was a thing that would go in these types of agreements, but here you go, the Inquirer could not commit any crimes whatsoever for three years. Or the agreement was null. <laughs> like, I mean, like, yeah, you can't crime anymore. But I mean, it just, that three-year provision just seems <laughs> arbitrary. We'd I mean, you not to crime at all, but... Yeah, I guess the agreement has to expire at some point, but whatever. So after the January 10 expose, Jeff very publicly assigned a well-known security consultant named Gavin De Becker. Oh,
0: I've heard of that guy.
1: Yeah. Okay, to work on tracking down how exactly, you know, Pecker and the Inquirer had gotten hold of his text messages to his girlfriend. In media reports, both men speculated that the Inquirer had created a political hit piece to benefit Donald Trump because uh. Jeff owns the Washington, the Amazon Washington Post. Fake news. Which, you know, I gather if that was the case, that could put the Inquirer on the wrong side of the non-prosecution agreement. And maybe doing crimes? Doing crimes again.
0: What's funny is that people who are doing a lot of crimes these days don't necessarily understand... Or fully comprehend that they're doing crimes. It's just normal day-to-day business. It's Tuesday.
1: Well, let's talk about what comes next. Oh, speaking no. of speaking of continuing to crime. So, I think this fear that Bezos was out there saying, like, no, this was a, a political smear. This prompts the Inquirer to reach out to Jeff personally at the start of February and make him an extremely corrupt offer. But one that AMI seems to have been quite used to making against various people, they instructed him effectively to sign an eight-page-long contract that included requirements like issuing a public statement saying that there was no hacking, no hacking, and agree publicly that the story was not, quote, instigated, dictated, or influenced by external forces, political or otherwise.
0: Oh, Jesus.
1: And in exchange, the inquirer would not publish the private photos that they'd stolen, including a dick pic.
0: Christ on toast.
1: What the fuck? <laughs> okay. Jeff Bezos has enough money that he doesn't have to care. And so he heads I mean, to. There's fun, delicious trash candy,
0: and then there's trash sewage. Yeah. Nobody ever, ever, ever wants to see anybody's dick pic.
1: Yeah. Well, the internet gazillionaire uh, heads to his local keyboard and bangs out a post on medium.com titled, No Thank You, Mr. Pecker, <laughs> where he accused the company of blackmail and extortion, which it pretty clearly was. Extortion is like the word of the week. Extortion. Extortion. It's only fun if everybody's doing it. So this post on Medium also spun up a really interesting theory, positing that it was the Saudis, under the direction of Mohammed bin Salman, also known as MBS, also known as Mohammed Bonesaw. That is the name I'm familiar with. Who had hacked his phone. Oh, God. Yeah. How does he get a
0: hold of his phone to
1: hack? Okay. So the security guy, De Becker he um, releases his report at the end of March. This is actually very sobering. The first time I read this, I was like, oh, my God, I hope this is all. I hope he's so wrong on this. Okay. So he writes that his team and, quote, several experts concluded with high confidence that the Saudis had access to Bezos's phone and gained private information. He goes on to drop this super alarming detail. Quote, experts with whom we consulted confirmed New York Times reports on the Saudi capability to, quote, collect vast amounts of previously inaccessible data from smartphones in the air without leaving a trace, including Uh, phone calls, texts, and emails.
0: Oh, my. Yeah. That's terrifying. Like,
1: I cannot independently confirm that, but I know... um, we're about to get to the murder of Jamal Khashoggi, but there was but there was a lot of speculation about how much like the how much of his phone activity was viewable to Turkish authorities outside of the embassy where he was killed. Oh my god. Okay. Jumping ahead. So De Becker linked the Saudi op against Bezos to the Washington Post's dogged coverage of the brazen murder of post columnist Jamal Khashoggi the prior October. Yeah. So U.S. intelligence believes that Mohammed Bonsaw ordered that hit. This guy was a well-respected Saudi journalist who had been exiled because he had become a critic of both the American corrupt regime and the Saudi corrupt regime. He was murdered in the, consulate, in the Saudi consulate in Istanbul and dismembered in-house and shipped out of the country in suitcases. MBS and, is a bad uh, dude. MBS is a bad dude. De Becker described a well documented relationship between Mohammed Bonesaw and David Pecker of The Enquirer, including the detail that when MBS came to America in March 2018 for his first grand publicity tour, AMI created a 100 page ad free glossy magazine called The New Kingdom to promote. are joking. I'm not. I'm not. To promote him and his allegedly transformational vision of Saudi Arabia. So. The.
0: Dirt on all of these spider webs hurts my brain. Mm-hmm. It hurts it.
1: Yeah. So De Becker obviously provided his report to U.S. law enforcement, and that is that process is ongoing. Bezos has sat for interviews about it, but he—I mean—he's pursuing it as extortion and blackmail. So good for him. That meant that the non-prosecution agreement was suddenly a whole lot dicier than it had been. So the major investors at AMI freaked out as scandal after scandal enveloped the tabloid. They forced the company to sell the paper. And on April 18th, it was sold to the Hudson Group, which has all those airport bookstores. Oh, yeah. That's, Hudson News. Sure. That's what they do. Uh, notably, the oh, this was so funny. So the issue that exposed the affair back in January was not actually much of a seller. <laughs> Nobody cares. Because, yeah. So you and I joke about like how we name our um, episodes and some of them we are anti seo yeah jeff bezos is anti seo at Apparently. least to inquirer readers or um, the king of seo is a little ironic right all right so while all of that shit show was playing out in public and private jeff and mckenzie were negotiating terms with each other and i really can't stress this enough the Bezoses did not themselves have a trashy divorce except for the spectacular backfire of an intrusion by the national Enquirer. wow In April, Mackenzie tweeted out, "...grateful to have finished the process of dissolving my marriage with Jeff with support from each other and everyone who reached out to us in kindness. And looking forward to the next phase as co-parents and friends, happy to be giving him all of my interests in the Washington Post and Blue Origin and 75% of our Amazon stock, plus voting control of my shares to support his continued contributions with the teams of these incredible companies." Seriously.
0: She just sounds like a class act.
1: Yeah. No, they... She gets a halo. I mean, sure, he's having kind of a trashy affair, I guess. But, like, I mean, I think they were separated when it started. I can't know. But, yeah, it just My seems... My kids are
0: grown. I want to write. Tori, uh, Tony Morrison taught me. I got shit to do that is not you,
1: dude. Yeah. Interestingly, the papers were finalized by a judge on July 5th. Which is the same day that Amazon launched in 1994. Really? So, Independence Day. That's yeah, interesting. So Mackenzie walks away with close to 20 million shares of Amazon stock, worth around ah, $35 billion. Oh, okay. <laughs> She's the third richest woman in the world. Jesus and Christ. She
0: <laughs> and I just want to
1: sit in my little room and drink tea. And write my books all day. Basically, yeah. Wow. Yeah, I mean, at least one of their kids is in college now. Like, it. Yeah,
0: thirty-six
1: billion. Yeah, thirty-five billion dollars. Um, I'm sure it fluctuates a bit based on Amazon stock price. But she also is apparently a much more charitable person than her ex husband is. In May, she signed on to the Warren Buffett and Bill Gates project for extremely rich people called the Giving Pledge. Huh. where they agree to philanthropically donate half their fortunes in their lifetimes. Oh, wow. She well, issued, that's a hell of
0: an ambitious it, goal. It, mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, she issued a very cool statement about it, too. She says, There are lots of resources each of us can pull from our safes to share with others. Time, attention, knowledge, patience, creativity, talent, effort, humor, compassion. Seriously, Mackenzie Bezos. She gets all the halos. All the halos. In addition to whatever assets life has nurtured in me. I have a disproportionate amount of money to share. My approach to philanthropy will continue to be thoughtful. It will take time and effort and care, but I won't wait, and I will keep at it until the safe is empty. Wow. So, good for you, Mackenzie Bezos. Jeff Bezos, notably, has not signed the giving pledge, and (laughs) he has long been viewed as one of America's stingiest billionaires. Really? Yeah, um, and I guess... I mean, it sounds like from that statement that her plan is actually to give away her entire fortune before she dies. But like Jeff is going to be making sure the kids are provisioned. Well, of course,
0: you take care of your kids and mm-hmm. set them up with enough. But I doesn't sound like she to me is going to be like, let's inherit wealth for right. the next 28 generations. Right, Let's use it.
1: Use what you got. Let's fund the state of Washington for 10 months. <laughs> Kidding. Jeff and Lauren are still a thing, and Jeff has been on a bit of a real estate buying spree lately, dropping $80 million for three Manhattan apartments. I don't know why he needs three. The couple has been spotted all over the world together, chilling at Wimbledon, attending Google Camp in Italy, and going to CentroPay together. Okay. The Saudis have denied involvement in the Bezos phone hacking scandal, but the CIA has warned activists who worked with the probe that they're being targeted by Saudi intelligence. That tracks. Just yesterday, we learned that telephone conversations between Donald Trump and Mohammed Bonesaw are among those that have been improperly stored in code word only computer systems. I'm sure there's nothing to worry about there.
0: Yeah, there's a lot more we don't know about than what we do know about. Yep.
1: Yep. It's evolving. Anyway, that's the Bezoses. Holy cat. On their own. I mean, they would have just like occasionally tweeted out a uber happy thing about how stuff was progressing but instead it cost AMI the National Enquirer no (laughs) criming
0: for three years how many trash cans Stacy
1: oh well again I think
0: Mackenzie Bezos Um, can we give him some individually just for his shitty work practices
1: yeah well and like the I don't I don't even know if like his having a girlfriend when his marriage is ending is a much of an offense you know but yes for for um underpaying your employees and all of that yeah let's uh
0: enabling us not to put on pants on a daily basis because we can
1: just get it delivered here it's true so that's halos too though right <laughs>
0: <laughs> halos trash cans i don't i mean let's
1: give him 137 billion trash cans but very very clean and tidy and orderly ones perfect that always get delivered on time yes. via your pantsless yes. drone. That will be there the next day. <laughs> Trashcan Prime. What? <laughs> <laughs> that was a good story. It's convoluted. It, like I, That's part of why we've had to wait on this. Like People have been mentioning it to us since January. And I was like, well, we don't. There's more going on here. So
0: very little real trash until the National Enquirer Inqu- mm-hmm. and David Pecker decided to.
1: Put his pecker in it. Yeah, but if the Saudis can access Jeff Bezos' phone.
0: They can access anybody's phone. Yeah. yeah. Yikes.
1: Yeah, for a while, I would, like, any time there was a picture of him with a phone, I would scrutinize it to try to figure out whether it was iPhone or Android to see whether, (laughs) am I safer or less safe than Jeff Bezos? (laughs) You're a nerd. Anyway, that's the Bezos's.
0: That was awesome.
1: Season four, Trashy Divorces, woo, one and done. Off to a rich, eccentric, and uh, inventive start. Take the money and run. Take the money and run is Thanks right. Thanks, everybody,
0: for tuning in to our
1: season four premiere.
0: Don't forget to catch our intro of Side Pieces this week on Patreon coming for you Wednesday. trashier or Tutors 2. So much good stuff there. Hope to see you on the flip on Patreon.
1: Yep, check us out in our Facebook group, Twitter. Have a great week. Keep it trashy.
0: Billions and billions of trashy. Just so much trashy. Take the trash and run.
1: Cheers, y'all. Keep it trashy.
0: Bye. Bye. <laughs> and thanks to you for listening. Trashy Divorces is a Hemlock Creatives production created and produced right here in Atlanta, Georgia by us, Stacy and Alicia, with a little
1: research and writing help from the brilliant Melissa O. Our art is by Sydney V. Smith. That's Sydney V. Smith at carbonmade.com. And our music is used with permission of Ratsy. Check her out at Ratsy's store on Instagram. And definitely drop into Ratsy's store anytime you're in Oberlin, Ohio. You can contact us at TrashyDivorces at gmail.com or find us on the World Wide Web at TrashyDivorces.com.